0: Welcome to Bourbon and Birds by Kentucky Fried Politics. It's Nick Storm. On Bourbon and Birds, we pour bourbon or crack into a bucket of extra crispy fried chicken as we discuss politics in Kentucky. We get down to brass tacks on the issues, talking with lawmakers, lobbyists, consultants, all in an effort to get deep in the weeds. Better understand what's happening here in Kentucky. guest is Senate Majority Floor Leader Damon Thayer, a Republican from Georgetown, who joined me at Jeptha Creed in Shelbyville. Senator Thayer, thanks for joining me.
1: Nick, I'm happy to be on your podcast, especially right here at Jeptha Creed Distillery, a terrific place that has some great bourbon. Absolutely. Well, cheers. Cheers to, to you.
0: Episode two of Bourbon and Birds.
1: It's, it's got a good nose.
0: Mm.
1: good finish yeah. excellent taste uh, the family here is doing a great job
0: yeah well we've got uh, some legislative issues to talk about and some election issues to talk about as we sip our Jeff the creek bourbon here um, first off I want to talk about redistricting and specifically what the timetable is <clears throat> as we're as we're looking ahead here uh, into uh, later 2021 uh, 2022 legislative session. Uh, when do you anticipate the legislature starts to to deal with the nitty gritty of moving uh, legislative districts? And we'll we'll separate off the different maps as we go.
1: Well, so a little a little bit of civics here. According to the Constitution, every ten years, we must redraw legislative and congressional districts in Kentucky uh, in accordance with the Fourteenth Amendment to the United States Constitution, which means one person, one vote, and that means that the districts must be as equal as possible to ensure that when when I vote on a bill in Frankfurt or any any other legislator votes on a bill in Frankfurt, that we represent an equal number of people for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. The 10 years is obviously tied to the census, which takes place every 10 years, which is prescribed also in the constitution that there must be a count of the people every 10 years. The problem is it hit when COVID hit in 2020 when the census was just ramping up and, and people literally go door to door everybody knows they get a form at home you, you, you can fill it out fill it out online but not everybody does that so there are people who go out in in cities and counties across America trying to find the information uh, uh, in, in each household so that we can get an accurate count to draw these districts and it also ties into federal funding based on population and and and, and other things that are built right. into the census right. we're, we're running about six to eight months behind mm-hmm. because they had to stop because of covid so what we do know right now is how many people live in each state uh, we, we got those numbers a couple of weeks ago and we're at 4.5 million people uh, in in kentucky which means uh, we, we grew at about half the rate of the country. I think we grew at a rate of about 7.4%. Okay. We about
0: were at 4.3 million people uh, 10 years ago?
1: Correct, correct. So uh, we, we know that several states uh, lost population enough that they, they lost a congressional district. Okay. Michigan, Illinois, New York, California, for the first time uh, in history did not, uh, not only did not gain a seat, Mm -hmm. it lost a seat. That's the first time that's ever happened ever since California became a state. They grew every ten years. Ten years ago they didn't grow so they didn't gain a seat. This year they actually lost population and people are moving elsewhere and we're seeing states like Texas and Florida uh, gain seats. We're going to stay the same at six congressional seats. (laughs) Uh, so eight electoral votes because uh, it, your electoral votes in, in helping determine who the president is is tied to the number of congressional seats plus the two U.S. senators. So we know that a House seat is going to be, the mean population will be about 45,000. Right. Uh, a Senate seat will be around 118,000. Mm-hmm. But according to case law, we can draw those districts to plus or minus 5%. Right. So they can they can go down 5% or up 5% in the population. Congressional districts are different. Under federal law, we have to draw those to zero population variance. So they, they have to be identical in population, which means in, in, in the House seats, we can split counties in order to make the population. Right. For the Senate, Can't we can done. only split a county if there yeah. are more people living in that county than a Senate district will hold. So, in the last census, we were able to divide Jefferson, obviously, Lexington, and then Kenton, which is split uh, between Senator Chris McDaniel and me. We do know, uh, based on population estimates, that Warren County and Boone County are going to be able to be split uh, in the Senate map. That's about all we know. Uh, We won't get the precinct-by-precinct and county-by-county numbers, apparently, until September or October at the earliest we believe and this will go back to your initial question we believe governor Bashir should call us into a special session late this year november or december for the sole purpose of redistricting Uh, we we will get our maps ready the house will do a house map Mm -hmm. the senate will do a senate map and hopefully we can get some input uh from our delegation uh, our congressional delegation and we will agree uh, between the house and the senate on a congressional map that would be the ideal scenario for Governor Bashir to call us in. If he doesn't, when we get back in a regular session in January, we're going to have to immediately move the filing deadline back to likely its late January uh, start. Uh, you, know, we, you, you remember, we moved the filing right. deadline to the first week in January, right. something that Senate Republicans had been trying to do for years. Greg Stumble and the Democrats balked. But once the Republicans gained the majority in the House, we moved that because you'll remember, in a lot of cases, January was a wasted month. People right. didn't want to vote, and, and, and the House Democrats in particular, didn't want to vote on tough bills in January until they knew yeah. who their opponent was or if they had an opponent. Could draw a primary. That's right. So we, we, we said, that's ridiculous. We, we want to move, the, move it up to the first Friday after the first Tuesday, which is the, the end of the first week of the legislative session. Let's get the filing deadline out of the way so people know who they're running for, and we can start voting on tough bills. Right. But now if the governor doesn't call us into a special session, we're going to have to move that filing deadline back till late January or February while we pass the maps and then give people some time to realize where everybody lives, what district they're in, so that people can decide whether or not they're gonna run in these, in these, these districts, that, 138 districts that we've drawn. Sure.
0: Now in an effort to do that, uh, you know the interim committee meetings are back in session. You have to have LRC staffers help draw up these maps. So obviously, the Senate and the House will propose the you know the maps that they're looking at. Those will crisscross, and this is primarily a, a Republican exercise. This won't necessarily be a Democratic exercise, as there's you know, supermajorities in both chambers. So you don't really need uh, the Democratic votes. Uh, of course, you know Democrats may very well take this exercise as well and propose their own maps. Um, so you think though that to do all of that, if you know the population estimates now, you know an ideal house seat has to have 45,000 people plus or minus 5%, you would
1: be drawing those maps
0: now, correct?
1: If we had the county and precinct level data, but we don't. But you don't, you have the, the big picture data. Right, okay. so the problem gets into the, the split counties. Mm-hmm. I have a general idea based on census population estimates going back a year or so, how many people live in Scott County and Grant County? Because those are whole counties, we have those estimates. But say, take Kenton County, which Senator McDaniel represents the northern one-third, I represent the southern two-thirds. We have no idea how many people we represent because we're in a split county and we don't have that precinct level data. And obviously, when you draw maps, you have to have the precinct level data. Back to the first part of your question. This will be the first time in Kentucky history where Republicans control both the House and the Senate. And, and yes, we will lead the way uh, on drawing these districts. Um, I'm certain that we will seek input from uh, the, the Senate Democrats. There's only eight of them left. But as everybody knows, I have a good working relationship with Morgan McGarvey, the Democrat leader. We're friends. Uh, we will probably give them more input than the Democrats gave us when we were in the minority the last time 1990 would have been the last census where Democrats controlled the Senate. Uh, So I'm speaking now about the Senate. The House is going to do the House. But this will be the first time that Republicans control the redistricting process for the House and the Senate.
0: But given, and you, you illustrated that, 30 seats... In the Senate, mm-hmm. now, uh, we know Will Schroeder is going to retire. Uh, expect that there could be other retirements, mm-hmm.
1: that have not yet. Cb Embry is, okay. is not running again. Okay. So, Cb
0: Will Schroeder. I know there are other names out there. I talked to Danny Carroll yesterday. He said he's not ready to make that that announcement yet. He's going to wait and see uh, how the summer goes. You
1: know that kind of. That's thing. correct. That, I've they, I've, they I've talked to Senator Carroll, and um, obviously we hope he runs for re-election. But uh, it's a it's a you know, family and a business decision, uh, and and we're waiting for him to make that decision.
0: But as those decisions are made, it's going to make a big difference based on how you draw your maps if you don't want a Republican incumbent to challenge Republican incumbent as those districts grow.
1: You're absolutely correct, and that will be a big factor. I mean, you you look at Senator Embry's district uh, in western Kentucky, there is population flight in western and eastern Kentucky, and it's going to be a challenge for both House and Senate Republicans to to draw maps because the population is moving between the two interstates. And the Golden Triangle, Lexington, Louisville, Northern Kentucky, and Warren County in Bowling Green. So, uh, you know, we, we will have decisions to make. And, you know, it's hard to say what we're going to do until we get the, the, the population data at the precinct and county level, mm-hmm. but, you know, numbers can be moved districts can be split multiple ways and 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 obviously we want to avoid uh republican on incumbent republican on republican incumbent primaries right
0: and if i want to take my legislative hat off and, and put on my political hat now you start talking about splitting counties and you're you've got some geographic political battles that could take place as your population centers shift i mean uh to take a the house look at this. We've seen this in places like um, Representative Shell's district, where you have these geographic battles, um, where one person represents one county, where there's a lot of people, and the other one gets a little bit of that county, but they're still technically in the same district, and so it becomes a, a, a bit of warfare over who's going to represent what population segment. So of course, that's, not, that's
1: now Representative Bray's district, right? And 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 yes, those are certainly factors you have to consider. Uh, common interests, uh, but at the end of the day, population is what drives it. And nice. you know, Greg stumble when he was Speaker of the House, had some very unique ways of drawing districts. You can, I in, in my hometown of Georgetown, you can stand uh, on Main Street uh, at the county courthouse and be in. You can be in Representative Savannah maddox district and look across the street and be in Representative Mark Hart's district and look across the street and be in Representative Phil Pratt's district. I mean, basically divided up a downtown into three districts. And he did that to try to beat Ryan Quarles. Yeah. There was no doubt. And he, he then, he he gave up on trying to beat then Representative Brian Linder, made that district more Republican, and tried to make uh, Ryan Quarles' district less Republican so that Charlie Hoffman could have a shot at getting his seat back. So then-Representative Corals ran for re-election in a tougher district and beat former Representative Hoffman by a wider margin than he did when the district was more Republican. So Stumbo's gerrymandering didn't really work out very well for him since he lost right. and, and, and also lost the majority and the supermajority. And I think that's something we should point out. The current Republican supermajority, that's Greg Stumbo's map. Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm going I'm to follow up on, on that point uh, as you... As you look at these things, is it easier to control, and maybe this is more of a question for the House than it is for the Senate with 30 versus, uh, you know, just the the overall number of senators that you have over in the House. Is it easier to control a caucus with fewer members but still maintain (laughs) supermajority? Well, you know,
1: uh, I'm in the business of politics and policy. And, you know, as President Stivers often says, uh, the good politics will follow good policy. But on the political side, you know, the Republican Party of Kentucky's job and the job of our caucus is to win as many seats as possible. And we've done a great job of that. I've been toiling in the Republican battlefield since 1995 when I started out as treasurer of the Grant County Republican Party. And I can remember then, you know, trying to wrest uh, that seat from a longtime Democrat uh, back in. That was the 61st District. And I can remember when Ernie Harris uh, used to represent Grant County. It was a six to one Democrat county. He had won in 1994, defeated uh, Rick Rand, which not not a lot of people remember that Mm. former representative Rick Rand was a senator first, lost to Ernie Harris. Paul Patton came after Ernie really hard in 1998. And we worked really hard and carried Grant County 53-47 53-47 for Ernie. It was the first time in history Grant County had gone Republican in a legislative race. Last year when I got reelected, I represent Grant County now, I got 78% of the vote in Grant County and it's a Republican majority registration county and it illustrates the trends that we have in Kentucky. Uh, we've, every day a new county switches from Repu- Democrat majority to Republican majority in registration and sometime next year Republicans will become the, the majority party by registration statewide in Kentucky. So, you know, we, we want to win as many seats as possible. I mean, it certainly does become a management issue. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of personalities and a lot of regions to represent and try to, try to make happy. And sometimes we find issues that fall down on rural urban slash suburban divides. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've seen that in a couple cases uh, this year. And, you know, you've got to try to make a lot of people happy, both in the House and the Senate with the numbers that we have. But I certainly prefer it to the alternative. (laughs) That's true. I mean, I've been working a long time, and so have a lot of other people, working a long time to get these Republican supermajorities. And uh, we're going to draw these districts based on the population and the other factors that we have to take into account under the law, uh, but you know, obviously, we we want to, you know, we we want to continue winning elections uh, and and having these supermajorities so we can continue to unravel the bad policies that the Dem- Democrats Im- implemented for generations, as well as pass our conservative Republican priorities.
0: So, in drawing these, you, you mentioned the. Um Feel free to have a drink. Yeah, I'm thirsty. You, you mentioned these uh, <laughs> Georgetown uh, being triple represented, uh, you know, that, that type of, uh, of map drawing. Uh, are Senate Republicans willing to, to go on the record and say, we will not split the same way? Or is it just a matter of waiting for these numbers to come through to see how the pieces
1: fit together? My focus is on Senate redistricting. Right. We can only split five counties. Boone, kenton Jefferson, Fayette and Warren. Okay, based those are the, on,
0: based on that they're larger than the overall Correct cuz the population
1: 000. is higher than the 118,000 required right. for a senate district. We're we're only going to split those counties. The house is a little bit different and we're not going to get involved in uh, house redistricting. Okay. I mean as a resident of Scott County I would like to see the stumbo map fixed somewhat for Scott County as as a resident as, and as a citizen mm-hmm. but I'm going to leave that up to representative yeah. Pratt who represents the majority of Scott County in the house mm-hmm. to work that out with his leadership so their map is their map yeah the we we'll, we will pass the house's map and hopefully they will return in kind and and pass the, the map that we pass we're not going to get involved in drawing their map
0: so that's a general assembly map, those are the state legislative maps, but there's also the congressional map. Um, as you had mentioned, as you're seeking input, there's six congressional districts. Five of those are currently held by Republicans. They're solidly Republican districts, maybe with the exception of the sixth, which is technically swing, but it's swung pretty hard towards the, the I mean, and the, a- Andy maps. Barr's
1: done a great job, and the numbers would show you that you know, it's a it's a leans red, likely red district, but but having said that, it is the only district that's been competitive during the last 10 years. And I'll remind you, the last time we did redistricting, I was the chair of state and local government, and I voted against the congressional map because I felt that what was done back then, uh, when Andy Barr uh, was was running against Ben Chandler, was unfair to him. There was a deal cut uh, to. To to help Ben Chandler, and there were some Eastern Kentucky counties put in there, Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't like it. And the matter of fact, the whole Central Kentucky caucus in the Senate voted no on that map. Uh, I'm not going to get into too much to why that map was that map, but I will proudly say that Andy Barr uh, has been winning those Eastern Kentucky counties that were added to his district by by a pretty wide margin. Uh, Having said that, I, I hope. That we can restore some of the traditional central Kentucky counties to the sixth congressional district in this redistricting, and I'm going to be pushing for that. And I think it's the fair thing to do. Nobody has had a, nobody in our congressional delegation has had a competitive race except for Andy Barr. Right. And as his constituent, uh, I'm, I'm going to and to do what's right for central Kentucky going forward in the future. I'd like to see that district become a little more compact yeah. in a little more central Kentucky.
0: So that begs the question about the third. This is the only democratically controlled district. This is Congressman John Yarmuth's district. It seems like it's likely he may even have a uh, a competitive primary this time, as uh, Attica Scott looks like she's giving all signals go on, uh, on, on entering into that race in this Jefferson County district. As you look at this, there's a couple schools of thought. One of those schools of thought is that you can weaken the third district Uh, by taking out some of those eastern uh, Jefferson County, heavily Republican uh, suburbs, placing them over into the 4th, or however you end up drawing that map, uh, or, and and leaving that as a solidly Democratic district, or you put more Republican counties into the 3rd and try and make make it competitive. What's your preference as you take a look at this?
1: I don't want to get too clever by half. I am I am not in the camp that believes we should try to weaken the third district to try to get a Republican in there. I think it's risky, and then you make the five districts that we have. And and you know by the way, Ed Whitfield and Ron Lewis worked really hard to win the first and the second congressional district. Uh, now represented, of course, by uh, Representative Congressman Comer and Congressman Guthrie, both former legislative colleagues of mine, mm-hmm. and. You know, I, I don't think it's smart to try to get too clever by half with the third congressional district. I'm not a fan of Representative Yarmouth. His voting record is anathema to me, but I do think he rep- represents Louisville pretty well. Jefferson County is very liberal, and I, you know, I think Jefferson County ought to get what it deserves, and that's a liberal member of the United States Congress. And uh, I'm not in the camp of trying to, to weaken that district. I, I think that the, the five Republican districts we have uh, we should make sure that, you know, they, they meet the population requirements and we uh, we, we keep those districts Republican. Um, it, you know, I, I think that he is vulnerable in the primary. I still cannot believe Charles Booker is not running against him in the primary because I think he could win that, whereas Charles Booker has no chance to beat Rand Paul, but, you know, maybe he's running for other reasons. Um, but And maybe he and Representative Attica Scott have cut a deal where, he runs for the Senate, and she runs for the house she She may beat john yarmouth uh, that 's going to be fun to watch uh, but i 'm not in the camp of uh, trying to carve up Jefferson County and make the third district a, a red or even a purple district yeah
0: which which makes sense I mean you know what what more do Republicans get holding you know five of six versus six or six uh, Yarmouth really isn 't much of a player when it comes comes back to, to overall dealings and in, in, Kentucky uh, just by basis that there's not any other uh, Democrats at at the federal level.
1: Right. And I I just look back 30 years, what the Democrats did in congressional redistricting, they did try to get too clever by half. Mm -hmm. And then look what happened. Ed Whitfield won. Ron Lewis won. Andy Barr won. Uh, You know, the fourth and the fifth were were always going to be uh, by then, were, we're solidly red districts, but they, they tried to get too clever, and look what happened. It backfired on them. And you know, I think you have to learn from the lessons of history, mm-hmm. and I don't think we would be well-served to go down that path. It, it, look, Louisville's liberal. It deserves a liberal congressman. I don't think we should get in the way of that.
0: It's important to remember, I think, too, that anything that you do in any district, the congressional maps especially are a big wheel. It's got a, you know, population shift here means a population shift here It means a population shift here. <clears throat> and that becomes complicated based on the incumbency of uh, particularly the folks over in the West where you've got a Warren County seat and you've got a Monroe County home district. It'd be easier to probably chop the tail off of those and, you know, uh, draw the maps, uh, you know, a variety of ways that you could do that. Um, but that's likely not gonna happen as long as those folks remain incumbents.
1: That's true, and, and, and that, in every state where the legislature draws the districts, which is the way it should be, and some states go by commission, and that's um, absolutely unalterably opposed to that. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the incumbents do have an effect. I mean, there are some people who would say that, you know, Bowling Green and Owensboro should be in a different congressional district. I think Congressman Guthrie would, would, would uh, take umbrage at that. I think Owensboro would take um, umbrage of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Owensboro is served well by having Congressman Guthrie, who's from Bowling Green, as its Congressman. So, you know, I don't think you're going to see a massive change like that. Um, like I said, I, I do think there are some counties uh, like Garrett and Jesmond that need to be back in the 6th Congressional District, and I'm going to fight to make sure that that happens.
0: What about over in the 4th, and and maybe it it seemed like Bashir performed well over in Northern Kentucky. Is that a signal of perhaps things to come as as Democrats find some some power up in in Northern Kentucky? No.
1: No. No. That was an anomaly. It was an absolute anomaly, and you you just look at the—everybody was all excited because Andy Bashir won Kenton County. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, uh, he lost my part of Kenton County. Uh, I remember certain people getting all excited about that they were going to beat me because uh, they were going to beat me because uh, Andy Bashir won Kenton County. Well, they need to be a little better at politics and take a look at my precincts in Kenton County that Matt Bevan carried. And of course, you know, the rest is history. I got 69% of the vote last year, my biggest margin ever. And Chris McDaniel, you know, was supposed to have this tough race, and he ended up winning by 16 16 points. Mm -hmm. That election was an anomaly. You look at everybody else, even the Secretary of State's race with Michael Adams running against a former Miss America, still won by, what was it, six points? Yeah. And everybody else won by 400,000 votes or more. That was a situation where Matt Bevan had turned enough people against him, and look, up in Northern Kentucky, 10 days before the election, he goes up and says we need to put tolls on the Brent Spence Bridge, despite the fact that the legislative delegation up there is opposed to it. Right. Well, that led, along with the issues he had on teacher pension, and by the way, Matt Bevin was right on the policy on teacher pensions, but he was wrong on his rhetoric. But you combine those two things, and that's why he lost Kenton County. Uh, you go to Warren County, and you know he 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 got in the middle of a fight between the two hospitals down there. He didn't treat Janine Hampton very well. And look, he was in his right to, to to switch running mates, but the way he handled it was wrong, and that hurt him in Warren County. And then he goes down to the Rotary Club, and he says terrible things about their favorite son, Chief Justice. John Minton. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of, of Chief Justice Minton. Nice guy, but just not a fan of his opinions. But you, I would never go into his hometown and say the things about him that Matt Bevin said. And that's why he lost Warren County. He lost five counties that a statewide Republican should never lose. Kenton, Scott, Madison, Warren, and Campbell. It was an anomaly election. It had it has it has nothing to do with anything else because since then we've had another election, a presidential election, a U.S. Senate election, congressional and legislative, and everything returned to normal. Yeah, that was a he. he, he Andy Bashir is an accidental governor who won by 5,000 votes in a plurality. Also, remember the Libertarian candidate whose name I can't remember didn't even campaign. He pulled enough votes off of Matt Bevin, and that was that was tied to the Janine Hampton situation and the way he handled that. So this this narrative that, oh you know, Northern Kentucky's competitive because Andy Bashir barely won, it's just it's just bunk. And and we have debunked it in, in an election since then. And we will continue to. Northern Kentucky is solidly red.
0: Well I want to pivot with you. I got a little bit of bourbon left so I want to keep keep talking to you. Um pivot with you towards elections. You brought up Bevin, you brought up that that campaign Bevin is popping up again, he was at RGA, he's been talking to folks. What's you, Damon Thayer, what's your opinion on Matt Bevin making another run at, uh, at higher office, whether that's Senate, uh, governor, uh, and it just, the indications seem like he's talking about governor and coming back, given that plurality of votes, given that just less than 5,000 vote margin loss to Andy
1: Beshear? I don't think Matt Bevin should run for governor again. He lost. He lost because of his own foibles, and he should give someone else a chance. I also think that some of the horrific pardons that he issued unilaterally on his way out the door will continue to haunt him. And now we find out that the, the, the feds have indicted one of the people that he pardoned. Mm-hmm. If I'm Andy Bashir, I'm salivating at the chance for another shot at Matt Bevin. I think, I think Andy Bashir is a one-termer. I think he's, I think with his horrible handling of the pandemic, uh, there are enough issues that just about any Republican can beat him, except for Matt Bevin. And if Matt Bevin runs, his primary opponents should hit him on the, the pardons. And if he were to win a primary, his Democrat opponent, Andy Bashir, is going to pound him pound him with those pardons and i don't think he should run again i think it's time to let somebody else take a run at it i think we have a very deep bench in the republican party and i think it's time to let somebody else and mm-hmm. i think i'm pretty objective when it comes to matt bevan uh, i liked 95 percent of his policies i like him personally i think there were times when he showed uh oratorical brilliance but there are other times when, you know, his mouth got him in trouble. <clears throat> yep. And uh, I, I wish he was still governor. Don't get me wrong, I, but you know, he lost. And it's his own fault. Yeah. And I think he needs to look, at, look in the mirror and do what's right for the Republican Party and do what's right for the state and sit this one out.
0: You mentioned before about how registration, Republican registration is outpacing Democratic registration. And I think Matt Bevin in particular fits this narrative that I'm looking at, that I'm talking about, and I think other people are talking about, and that's that Republicans own the state of Kentucky now. We see it in the legislature. We see it at the federal level. And given so, uh, the contests are going to be played out with that deep bench via primaries. At what point is the primary contest, be that governor, senator, what have you, uh, federal, you know, congressman, play it out? via the primary process, via people like Matt Bevin, or, you know, there's five, six, you know, big names looking at a governor's race. Uh, what, what point in time do we start seeing that happen here in Kentucky? I
1: think we may see that uh, very soon. Uh, I think we've got some excellent tier one people looking at governor. Kelly Craft, Ambassador Kelly Craft, Congressman Jamie Comer, Commissioner of Agriculture, Ryan Quarles. Uh, I think if, if Ambassador Kraft gets into the race, I think she could clear the field.
0: Well, look, you just listed three friends.
1: They're they're all three very good friends of mine.
0: So how, you know, and, and as somebody who's, you know, politically dealt with the dollars coming in from the Krafts, you've dealt, you know, via the RPK structure, uh, you know, Congressman Comer and, and, and delivering for— constituents, quarrels, is statewide elected of, of two terms coming from the same area. How does somebody like you decide what to do in an election like that?
1: I don't know. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I mean, there are three outstanding potential candidates. And by the way, there are a number of other people uh, who, who would make excellent candidates looking at it. And there may be people thinking about it who I haven't even thought about yet. I mean, there could be, there could be judge executives, there could be uh, state senators, there could be state representatives. There could be a lot of people looking at it. Uh, I think if Ambassador Kraft runs, I think she could clear the field.
0: Based uh, on, on wealth or based on, on name?
1: I, I, a couple different things. She's the only one in the race who would be able to say, I've been twice appointed to ambassadorships by President Donald Trump, which is going to be a very good selling point. And by the way, by all accounts, she did a very good job in both of those both of those positions, and she was twice confirmed by the United States Senate.
0: How's Trump polling these days? I am going to In Kentucky
1: in Kentucky, he remains wildly popular. Okay.
0: He was over 60%. That's that's come down a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I um, would I would still say he's going to be right around 50s. you 58-62% know, depending on you know whether you're whether you poll registered voters or people who voted in a presidential election or likely voters in a presidential election. You got to slice and dice the crosstabs sure. to make sure that it's a legit poll. Um, But, you know, I think, and I'm going to call them by their first names because they're all friends. Kelly, Ryan, Jamie, they all have great records of accomplishment to run on. Um, I think Jamie, Congressman Comer, is in a marvelous position in Washington, D.C., as the ranking member of the Oversight Committee. It is very likely that Republicans are going to take over control of the House next year, and he'll be the chairman of that committee. And if he, if he runs for governor, I believe they have an internal rule that he has to give up his, his position on the committee. So that's, that's, a, that's a tough choice for him to make. You, you know, uh, history shows that the party that controls the presidency on average loses 27 seats in Congress during the, the during first midterm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it only takes five or six seats. Uh, and, and Kevin McCarthy is the Speaker of the House. And, and you know, our, our congressional delegation are looking at a bunch of committee chairmanships. So, you know, we'll have to see how this plays out. I predict it will play out earlier than than it ever has. I mean, this is a unique situation. An open seat, well, not a, a challenger. The Republican will yeah. be the challenger to an unpopular Democratic governor whose fate will be determined by whether people think he did a good job managing the pandemic or not. I mean, that is set.
0: Okay, so that's a great question. Here we are, 2021. This race isn't until... 2023 uh, assuming he doesn't face any democratic challenges he's really not doing a ton of work until may of 23 even though we know the work actually starts now he's not actually campaigning until may of 23 what issues are at play in may of 23 that we can look at now and and is the handling of the pandemic is, is the first year of uh the of his policies still the, the basis of, of what Republicans are talking about and, and what Democrats are talking about?
1: It will be the defining issue. And if you look back at Matt Bevan's term, the things he said in 2017 and 2018 when we were having the debate over teacher pensions mm-hmm. pretty much sealed his fate. People didn't, rem- didn't forget that. People are not going to forget his handling of a once every 100-year pandemic uh, that occurred in 2020. They're not going to forget that by 2023. That can split both ways, though, right? It can split both yep. ways. He's going to go out there and talk about the positivity rate and, and, the, and the death rate and how his measures saved lives. And, you know, we're going to continue to talk about the fact that he bungled the unemployment situation. Not, not only could he not handle the claims, mm-hmm. But also, there's corruption in his, in his administration where the lieutenant governor's hairdresser got preferential treatment and a couple dozen people that work in his UI office illegally funneled unemployment insurance checks to themselves despite the fact that they were working. So yeah. that's, that's a scandal. Then you got the fact, and there, there, there's a certain part of the Republican base that will never forget that he sent state troopers out to cite people for going to church on Easter Sunday. That will not be forgotten. And then the, the, the freedom and liberty issue related to mask wearing, to the mandates, to picking winners and losers of what businesses can stay open and which cannot. And the, the bar and restaurant industry yeah. and those affected by it are not going to forget how he shut them down twice when the evidence showed that he shouldn't do that. And then the other issue was his ostensible shutdown of schools for the better part of a year. He will say that he didn't, but let's, let's be honest, his policies basically forced superintendents to shut down schools, some for longer than others. Mm-hmm. The two largest school districts in the state, Jefferson and Fayette County, were ostensibly shut down for a year. Yeah. And <laughs> those, those kids, are, it's going to take, I, I was told it, it's going to take three to five years for the students in Jefferson and Fayette County catch to, re- to catch back up. And in districts that had to deal with different shutdowns, but started back earlier, 18 to 36 months. Wow. And, 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 you know, remember, we're also seeing...
0: Of course, they don't vote, but their parents do. Their
1: parents do, and their parents aren't going to forget that. And They're not going to forget how Andy Bashir shut down child care. Uh, we're seeing l- the, the lowest number of female participation in the workforce in 30 years. After we we, we, we were at peaks, because a lot of moms had to, had to make a decision to stay home with their kids because they didn't have child care to send them to. And they needed to stay home and help them with virtual learning. People aren't going to forget that. And, and it's, it's going to take a while for people to recover from this financially, too. And, and now we've got the fact that, you know, the governor won't end the $300 a week supplement. Or is it 300 a month, 300 a week?
0: Uh, I think it's 300 a month. Well, I don't know. What, That's a good question. Whatever the federal supplement
1: yeah, 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 yeah. is, that 23 other states have ended, right. which is giving people an incentive to stay home and not work, and we've got help wanted sign after help wanted sign. Business, Some businesses can't even open up the full capacity because they don't have the people to, have to, staff, yeah. to serve the to serve the customers. Which, it's a big problem. And
0: I've talked to some restaurant owners, and some of that, I think, is due to uh, a migrant workforce in the back of the house that shifted towards states... Uh, that opened up their restaurants sooner. They weren't mm. tied to uh, Kentucky. And so, you know, let's, let's go to these other states and continue work.
1: I think that's true. I think that's true. They, they You know, and, and a lot of those are surrounding states. A lot of our surrounding states uh, opened up earlier than we did, uh, dropped the mask mandate earlier than we did, opened bars and restaurants earlier than we did. And, you know, here we sit today on June 3rd. Yeah. We're still a week <clears throat> away from being fully open. Only three states will open after Kentucky, California, Vermont, and New York, which are deep blue Democrat states. And, you know, I went to the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby, mm-hmm. in, live and in person, 50,000 people both days. Yeah. I maybe saw 12 people wearing masks. And apparently there were only 10 cases of COVID that were traced back to Derby weekend at Churchill Downs. I think that proved that we are past this thing. And the the governor just wants to hold on to power and his daily press conferences as long as possible. Because after June 11th, he's going to have to return to a more traditional governor model where he's going out doing uh, groundbreakings and yep. ribbon cuttings and dedications. And you're already seeing him do that. And, and,
0: <clears throat> and that's what I was going to ask. So there's billions of dollars. You know, the Biden administration, remember, you a Democratic president, Democratic governor, got $4 billion coming in. I think two billion of that. The legislature—and and correct me if I'm wrong—the legislature uh, allowed how we're going to, in principle, spend some of that.
1: Money. We we appropriated a billion of it, and there's still a billion left for okay. us to appropriate in the next session. Okay,
0: and there's a timer on that money that expires in 2024. So, given that billions of dollars coming in right now, we can talk about a stagnant economy, restaurants that have been hurt, you know, people that are not getting emails answered on an unemployment side of things. <clears throat> but putting billions of dollars into the Kentucky economy via the federal government, does that erase that for Bashir? And how do Republicans play that political game?
1: Well, first of all, we're, we're living in a false economy propped up by these federal dollars. It's why we were so conservative with the state dollars and the budget that we passed this year. Because until we get back to full employment, and less reliance on the, the the federal government propping up our economy. We really don't know where we are in terms of true revenue. So we don't want to spend money that we don't have or create line items in the budget that are then recurring and find out two years from now we don't have the money to do it. We do have the ARPA money that no Republican from Kentucky in Congress voted for, but we as the General Assembly have the constitutional right to appropriate it and we appropriated half of it, and we will do the other half. Mm-hmm. I mean, we,
0: these are infrastructure projects. We're we saying, did it, know, it towards yeah.
1: needed infrastructure. But, look, Andy Bashir is going to be everywhere that there's a, a shovel or a ribbon and a camera.
0: You better believe it. And he's it is, going to try to yeah. ride
1: that to re-election. We're not, we're, not yeah. we're not naive. We're not naive. There's no doubt. And he's going to get local press coverage uh, from doing that. Uh, and, and certainly that's an issue that he's going to run on for re-election. But I go back to my earlier point, people are not going to forget the, his management of the pandemic for better or for worse. And whoever our nominee is, is gonna to have to make a, a, a case and remind people that Andy Bashir uh, curtailed your liberties and freedoms and your right to go to church and, and hurt a, a lot of businesses, killed a lot of businesses and hurt kids education and their mental development and all of the other societal consequences like increases in domestic violence and rape and child abuse and all these other consequences that we're going to be dealing with for years.
0: All right. Well, Senator Thayer, I'm going to leave the discussion there. I think we could continue to drink and talk all day, and that actually sounds like a a pretty good day, but uh, I'm going to leave it there for now. Thank you so much for your time. Always
1: good to have a discussion with you, Nick. Welcome back onto the political scene in Kentucky. Thank you. Thanks for listening
0: and for sharing this podcast. Make sure you're following the latest stories on Kentucky politics at KentuckyFried.com.